Thanksgiving is a, a wonderful holiday leading into Christmas. And I think so much be, uh, of Thanksgiving because it's an opportunity for us to be grateful to God for what He has done. Think about the very act of, of thanking somebody for something. It's an act that says, I needed you or I needed you to do something for me that I couldn't do on my own. And so when we give thanksgiving to God, it's an act of humbling ourselves before God and saying thank you for what you have done, for what you have accomplished. It's very rare that we go around, and I I hope you don't do this, thanking people for what you've done. You know, John, I just want to thank you that I was, you know, that that, that I am so great and that I am, you know, we, we just don't do that. It's always thank you for you doing something or thank you for you providing something. And, and so Thanksgiving is an opportunity to, leading into Christmas of praising God and thanking Him for what He's done. I'm very, very blessed to, to have children at an age where they still think I can do stuff. <laughs> Yesterday we were putting up Christmas lights and as a family and, and the boys were helping me and, and by helping I mean riding their bikes and scooters <laughs> and, and occasionally saying you're doing a great job, Dad. Um, but... At one point, Mark's bike broke. And, and his bike broke, and he comes up to me and says, Dad, you've got to stop. You've got to fix this. And, and, and so we looked at it, and I was able to fix it. And as he's riding away, he's like, Dad can fix anything. And, and I, I cherish that, because at some point, he'll realize that is completely not true, <laughs> as I have a workbench of things that I can't fix. And, but it's a reminder to me of of gratitude for what I did for him, but then our approach to God, because we cannot do everything. We cannot accomplish much at all compared to God. But God is almighty. God is all-powerful. And God accomplishes whatever He pleases. And so we come to Him and we say, Thanks, Dad. You can fix anything. You can do anything. And this morning we come as we study the attributes of God. We're finishing up the attributes of God's greatness. Next week we'll move into the attributes of His goodness. And as we finish His greatness, we culminate with His omnipotence so that God is all-powerful and His sovereignty that God, because He is all-powerful, because He is all-wise, because He is great and above all things, can do whatever He pleases when He pleases and will accomplish His plan. But as we come this morning on Thanksgiving, there's a little bit of a tension when we study these topics. Because people will often ask me, Pastor Ron, if God can do anything, if God is all-powerful, then why? Dot, dot, dot. And fill in the blank. And we have all these questions. Why did this happen? Why was this allowed? If He's sovereign, why? Anyone have any why moments just this week? Just in the last seven days, any why moments of why is this happening? A number of you have raised your hands. And this morning, I'm not going to answer that question. But yet, I'm going to give you the answer to that question. Probably thinking, you're you're nuts. We, We don't know why. I can't answer the why, but the real answer is knowing who knows the why. And so this morning, we're going to explore who God is explore the kind of God He is, how He acts. And we're going to do it in the next 40 minutes. Something that could take us a half a year to cover. And so today is, again, just like the other attributes of God, it's an overview. It's it's looking over the broad mountain range. And our prayer is that it gives you some, some great topics to then dig into and study a little deeper. But why? Why does God do these things? And the answer is because He has all power 
And he has all authority. And we can thank him because he is working his plan. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. I'd like to start at the end. A scene in heaven that really sets the tone for these two attributes. Revelation 4, and we'll, we'll read verses 4 through 11 and focus on verse 8. But Revelation chapter 4. And our title this morning is Real Power, Real Authority, Be Thankful. Because as we understand God's power and authority, that is when we can come to Him with thanksgiving and gratitude. But Revelation 4, starting at verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The the first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, and we sang this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Let's pray together. Dear Lord God, as we come to Your Word, as we approach Your Word in worship, in study, may Your Holy Spirit speak to us. May Your Spirit reveal to us a little bit more of who You are and the impact that that has on us. Lord, may Your Word be powerful this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. In these verses in Revelation, we have a scene that, that John is, is able to see, and we have a scene of, of the throne room in heaven. And, and God is seated on the throne, and, and you see the elders around, and you see the picture that we've sung about, and the, the picture that is, just blows our mind, and there's imagery there that we, we're not going to get into this morning. Well, what is this creature, and what is this creature? Because this morning, it's about being in awe of being in the presence of God, being in His throne room. And in verse 8, we see the the things that the people around are saying is key to understanding who God is and what heaven will be like. Because they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And in that one phrase, in this one scene, we see a number of God's attributes on display. We see His holiness which we'll be talking about in a few weeks, that He is holy and set apart. But then we also see His sovereignty as the word Lord is used as part of His title. Sovereign Lord, Master of all things, as the scene is Him seated on the throne, reigning over all things. But then we see the Lord God Almighty. 
Almighty. And the idea that He has all power, all ability, is tied into His ability to reign and to His sovereignty. And so the, the worship is that He is holy, that He is sovereign, that He is King, that He is Almighty, and that He is eternal, who was and is and is to come. So this morning we're going to pick apart both, both the power of God, the Almighty God, and we're going to look at the King, the sovereign God who sits on the throne. And we start with omnipotent. We start with that word almighty. And, and we refer to it, like I said, as omnipotent. Omni meaning all, potent meaning able or power. And it, it says that God has all power and all ability. The definition in your notes is God is able to do and accomplish all He pleases as He has infinite power and ability. He can do a lot more than fix a bike because He has infinite power and ability and can do anything He pleases. And as we think about His power, it's, it's an attribute that may seem obvious. Well, we sing Almighty God all the time or, or we, we talk about His greatness. But there's a number of, of aspects of it that we want to think about in terms of our reaction to it, our response to it. In Revelation 4, the response is worship, is bowing down and saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. We see in verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, and we see thanksgiving as, as part of worship, that He is all-powerful, I am not. So I worship Him. The word Almighty is an interesting word. We... we, we read it as part of a title of God, but it's used 58 times in Scripture. 58 times, and it it means that He is all-powerful. That He has all power, might, capability. That He has the ability to carry out all things. He is able. He is able. And so just a number of, of aspects as we explore omnipotence. The first is that God is able to do all things. Be thankful. God is able to do all things. Be thankful. And like we said, that's what Almighty says. That's what it means that He has all power. But in Romans 1, 20 and 21, we see that creation shows that He is all powerful. And a number of things show that. In Romans 1, for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And Paul in Romans is saying, if you look at creation, you can just be amazed at the power of God. It's right there. You can't miss it. And the response, the response that they didn't do was to give thanks to God for what He has done. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And so creation shows it. When you get out of the city and you look up and you actually see that there's still stars, it's amazing and it should blow our minds and it should cause us to thank God because He is all-powerful and has created all things. We see His power in creation. Nick read this morning, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
And this leads to awe. This leads to a fear of the Lord. It leads to to being eternally grateful and under a sovereign Lord. In Psalm 33, the psalmist writes, He gathers the waters of the sea in a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And the response is, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God's ability to do all things should stir us to awe, to reverence, to amazement of God Almighty. We can easily get used to God, get comfortable with God, and forget to be in awe of God. And one of the cures for that is to start to recognize His work. The work of His hands in creation, in in life around us, in our lives, in sanctification and salvation. When we start to see His work, we can't help but be in awe. God is able to do all things. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There is nothing He is saying that God can't do. Jesus said that to the Father when when He's in the garden and and He's crying out for a different plan of salvation to, to avoid the cross. But He's saying, not My will, but Your will be done. And He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And in that verse, we see, we see the link between the, the power of God and the sovereignty of God. You can do all things, but your will be done. Because these concepts are intertwined and cannot be separated. God is able to do all things. When I think about Him being able to do all things, something that that crosses my mind is there is no concept of hard or easy to God. Because He has infinite power. And so there's no request that we bring to Him, there's no situation that we're in that is somehow harder for God. And and it's important to understand that because we can can view Him as all-powerful, but still view degrees to the problems that He faces. And there are no degrees with Him because He's all-powerful. His power is infinite. There is nothing too hard for God. Abraham and Sarah experienced that. Remember God comes and says, you're going to have a son. And and what does Sarah do? She laughs. It's ridiculous. It's too hard. I'm beyond childbearing years. It's too hard. And the answer from the angel of the Lord is, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Nothing is too hard for God. Jeremiah 32.17 All Lord God, it is You who have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and by Your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for You. If He created all things out of nothing with His Word, do we think that anything within creation is even remotely difficult? No, expand our view of God. Nothing is too hard for Him. When I think of the things I struggle to overcome or that we struggle to overcome, the habits, the sins, nothing is too hard for God. 
Nothing is beyond His ability to sanctify, to bring into His will, to bring resolution to. We may think, well, my job situation. I, I see no hope there. It's, too, it's not too hard for God. Well, my temper. I, I, I can't control my temper. That's not too hard for God. Things in my marriage are struggling. No, that's not too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. And so what does that tell us about how we pray and how we hope? Discouragement comes when we see no hope. When we see when we start to believe in our, our minds, even though it's not true, that God can't handle this situation, that God can't use this situation, and so we get discouraged and we worry and we get depressed. Nothing's too hard for God. There's great comfort in that, isn't there? It's amazing. And when we say God can do anything, We have to understand that that is within His character. We know from Scripture that God will not deny Himself. He won't lie. Not because He can't do it, but because He won't do it. It's not within His character to do it. The unity of His attributes say He will always act consistently within Himself. Praise God. Praise God. And so God can do all things. We should be thankful because if we served a God that couldn't do all things, there would be no hope. Point number two there, God is able to do far more than you can imagine. Be thankful. See a theme with being thankful? God is able to do far more than you can imagine. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Read verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And this is at the end of a prayer for spiritual strength, for God to be renewing, for God to be sanctifying His people. A prayer to know God's love, to be filled with the fullness of God, to be Christ-like. The hardest thing in the world that is not hard for God. It's not impossible for God. And Paul's, Paul's statement is that he is able to do abundantly more, not just a little bit more, abundantly more than we can think, than we can dream up. Which means if we sit here right now and dream what God might be doing, it is infinitesimal, infinitesimally small compared to what he can do and what he is doing. God is not limited to our puny minds. Praise God. I am thankful for that. Because if God was limited to my understanding of plans, to my dreams of how things could work out, we're in a lot of trouble. But because He is omniscient that we studied last week, He is all-powerful, He is able to do far more than I can imagine. And I'm thankful for that. Point number three, God is able to keep His promises because He is the Almighty God. Be thankful. God is able to keep His promises because He is the Almighty God. Be thankful. Imagine if if someone promised you something and you knew that they were unable to deliver. What are your thoughts about that person? They're crazy, right? You go to your boss tomorrow morning and you say, you know what, I have a way by the end of the week to double our sales. What is your boss going to say to you? 
you're nuts and then maybe you're fired. You can't do it. The promise is only as good as the ability of the person making the promise to fulfill it. Now, this is why God's omnipotence is so important. Because he is able to do all things, he can fulfill all things, his promises mean something. For all of us, we make promises, and it's good to make promises and to keep them, but we are fallible human beings. God is not. He is omnipotent, and so because he is almighty God, he is able to keep his promises. It's interesting, as you look through the Old Testament especially, Whenever God makes a promise to His people, and almost every time He makes a covenantal promise, He uses the name El Shaddai. El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And so every time He makes a promise, He's reminding them of His character that He is Almighty God. In Genesis 17, 1 and 2, and I only picked out a couple of them, there's many more. In Genesis 17, 1 and 2, when Abraham was, and when Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. He's reaffirming the Abrahamic covenant that you will be a blessing to all nations. I will make you a great nation. And, And he reaffirms that by saying, Remember who I am. I am God Almighty. I can do all things. This is not an empty promise. Genesis 35, a little bit later, and God is reaffirming the covenant again. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring before you. Hear how he started again? I am God Almighty. And so as we read Scripture, as you read Scripture this week, as you come across promises, promises like when, when, <coughs> promises like when we accept Him as our Savior, that we have eternal life and we are kept in His hand. That is a promise. And before that, we should say, because I am God Almighty, this promise means something. Because I am God Almighty, I promise you that all things will work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. And He's speaking of His good, His glory. Because He is God Almighty, His promises mean something. And we can trust Him. We can be thankful. Point number four goes right along with that. We can follow God's instruction because He is able because He is Almighty. We can follow God's instruction because He is able. And I think of two different parts of this. One is God's instruction to go and do something. So his, his giving of direction for our lives. The other is His instructions in His Word for what to obey. And do we trust His commands? Will we obey His commands? When I think of direction, I, I think of, of Joseph. And, and if you think of, if you remember back to the famine and what was happening before the famine and Joseph has already been sold, he's in Egypt, he's controlling things there. And do you remember him, him um, sending the brothers back home and saying, you know what, you need to go home and get Benjamin. You need to go home and get Benjamin, bring him back before I give you any more food. And so they go back and they, they talk to their father and their father's like, do you want me to lose another son? But then this is what he says in Genesis 43, 14. Take also your brother, 
and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And in that verse, we see him going back to the omnipotence of God. God is Almighty. I can, I can step out in faith in the direction He asks me to go because He will take care of the details. You see how His power affects our lives? God may be calling you to do something for Him. Maybe God is calling you to disciple someone. Maybe God is calling you to talk to a neighbor about Christ. Maybe God is, is calling you to go to Washington as a missionary. And we're like, well, I don't know. I don't know whether it will all work out. Do we believe that God is Almighty? Do we believe that God can do whatever He says He will do? Because if He directs, He will provide. It's the way God works. If He says go, then He'll take care of those details. And we don't have to know why. We don't have to know how it all works out. We can follow God's instructions and His direction because He is able. We can obey Him because He is able. There are many times that we come to instructions in Scripture and we're like, well, I don't know if that's what I need. I don't know if that's what works out in life. Turn with me to, to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 16. And this is significant because he ends his statements with, says the Lord Almighty. He uses the title that says, My power is what enables this to happen. But 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Praise God. We're the temple of God. He is with us. But then in verse 17, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. And he's not talking to, to go into a little community all by ourselves, a holy huddle, and never share the gospel, and never come into physical contact with unbelievers. He's talking about our spiritual lives, to be separate from them, to be clean, to be obedient. Says, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And he uses that phrase because he's giving instructions to be separate from the world. And that is something that they struggled with then and we struggle with now. How do we be separate from the world? How do we stay untainted by the world? In a world where we want acceptance. And we see things and we want them and we want to be part of this. And God is saying, I am your Father. You will be my sons and daughters. We have relationship. That relationship will sustain you. You don't need relationship with the world. You don't need it. You don't need to compromise because somehow you think that will keep friendships. You don't need to delve into things that may be on the line or, or 
that, that cross the line that are maybe little sins to us. You don't need to go there because we have relationship. You don't have to worry about the consequences. And sometimes we say, well, if I don't do that, then they'll be angry at me and I won't have any friends and I won't be able to reach them. All these excuses we have and God says, obey me, be clean, be separate, and trust that I, the Almighty God, can handle the rest. As soon as we make obedience a matter of evaluating the consequences, we have failed. Obedience isn't weighing, is the sin worth it? Obedience is saying, my God is able and He is holy and I trust Him. We can follow God's instructions because He is able. Because He is almighty. And His ways are perfect. Two other thoughts on God's omnipotence. God is able to be a refuge for those who trust in Him. God is able to be a refuge for those who trust in Him. Be thankful. In Psalm 91, we have a promise, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now again, just like His promises, how, how, how legitimate is a refuge that has no power? It's illegitimate. There's no way that it, if God is not all-powerful, there's no way He can be a refuge to us because He can't protect us from all that come in. But because He is all-powerful and the only one that is all-powerful and nobody beats God, when we are in the shadow of His wings, no one can come in and touch us. And so because God is all-powerful, He is a refuge. He holds all things together. All creation together. And we should never be afraid that God can't take care of us. Tozer uses an illustration that I love. He says, imagine a fly getting on an airplane. And the fly is sitting in his seat and has a little fly seat belt. And he's sitting there. And he starts to wonder... I, I don't know if the plane can hold me. I, I don't know if, if we're going to survive. I might be too heavy for this plane. The plane might crash. I, I might be on one side of the plane and I might weigh it down and I might just go in circles. Ridiculous, right? Any plane can handle a fly. But when we come to God and say, and we worry, we say, I don't know if God can handle this situation when we don't trust Him and abandon ourselves to His plans and His will, we're a fly on an airplane saying, I don't know if it can carry me. God is able to be a refuge for those who trust in Him. Be thankful. Praise God for His ability to sustain us. Praise God that His wings are big enough to carry us and always will be. And the last thought about God's omnipotence is God is able to do the impossible. Bring us to salvation. God is able to do the impossible. Bring us salvation. And we should praise Him and be thankful for that. As we come into Christmas, we're going to reflect on the Christmas story. And a number of times we see God doing the impossible because of His great power. In Luke 1, 
verse 36, we read, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, to me, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And we see God's hand in, in the, the conception of John the Baptist miraculously, and then in the, in the virgin birth, the incarnation, that God can do the impossible, and he is, His plan is being executed to bring salvation to those who would believe. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God is powerful. But also remember that He is personal. He is personal. He has brought us salvation in a spirit of adoptions as Son, we read in Romans 8, by which we cry, Abba, Father. Come to Him an intimate expression that we are children of God, that He is personal. But the other side of this coin is His sovereignty. His sovereignty and in His power is the backdrop for His sovereignty. They go together. It's the same concept, but different aspects of it. And this is how we begin to understand how He uses His power. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And I'd like to use the story of Nebuchadnezzar as our backdrop for understanding His sovereignty. For getting a taste of His sovereignty. There's, there are hundreds of other verses we can go to. But in this story, King Nebuchadnezzar has a big head. He's getting full of himself. And God says, I am God. I am sovereign. I am almighty. Let's start at verse 1 and then we'll, we'll skip down. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. That's His introduction. He's saying, this is what I'm going to talk about. And then He takes us back to the events that happened. In verses 4 on, 4 through 18, He talks about a dream that He had and a dream that God has given Him, warning Him. In verse 19 through 27, we see Daniel interpreting that dream. In verse 25 is a key verse to Daniel's interpretation that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. So you get the picture here? King Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's the top. He's the best. I've created all these things. God gives him a dream. The interpretation is you're going to be brought down low until you acknowledge God's kingship, His sovereignty. So we pick it up in verse 28. All that has happened. Daniel's given him a warning, said, please change. Please change. And in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, 
And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? That verse should send chills down your spine. Because what is he saying? What attributes is he ascribing to himself? Omnipotence, great power, and sovereignty. I am king. 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time, or seven years, will pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Sound familiar? Verse 25. It's the warning. God does what He says. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Neb. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Seven years later. And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And it goes on. But what an amazing proclamation of the sovereignty of God. Of the sovereignty of God. The definition you have in your notes is God is supreme above all and has the absolute right and authority to do as He pleases, when He pleases, without hindrance. Let me read that again. God is supreme above all and has the absolute right and authority to do as He pleases, when He pleases, without hindrance. He is Lord. He is Adonai. He is Sovereign. And when we come to sovereignty, I I know that we come to a subject that the church has wrestled with for hundreds of years. How do we understand God's sovereignty? And so we come to it with with hopefully charity this morning. That we don't have two sides of the room that suddenly start throwing things at each other. But we begin to understand what God's Word teaches about sovereignty. Now what sovereignty is not, so many times we misunderstand sovereignty. We, We define sovereignty oftentimes as that God is controlling every moment. And that's not what sovereignty means. That's a different discussion. Sovereignty means that He has authority over and reigns over all things. I think it's more helpful to use words like He's in control of all things rather than He controls all things. Because when we come to sovereignty, it's about authority. It's about kingship. It's about the exercise of His power. Webster defines it as having supreme rank, power, or authority, independent of outside authority. Sovereignty is is about God's independence, that He doesn't have to go to others for advice, that He doesn't have to have others for power. He is completely independent. He does as He pleases and as He alone pleases. That is sovereignty. 
And so we want to, to mention four truths of sovereignty and resolve them together as we close. Because sovereignty, I think, is one of the most comforting doctrines and attributes of God. When I truly understand that the king is still on the throne, that I don't have to be on the throne, and I can trust him to, to exercise his will, and he's guaranteed to do that, man, there's comfort in that. It takes the stress just completely away because now my job is to follow the king, not to be the king. To follow the one that's in charge, knowing that he is working all things for his good and his glory. The four things that are true and that are all true and that we must hold to as true. The first is that the creator has absolute authority over all things. Be thankful. The Creator has absolute authority over all things. Since He created all things, He has authority over all things. He has dominion over all things. And so in Daniel chapter 4, you see that come up in verse 3 and again in verse 34. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. It means God has authority over all things. He made them all. They're His. They belong to Him. We belong to Him. So he has authority over all things. In Matthew 20, verse 15, the end of the the parable of the laborers, Jesus says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And so we see God's word when we think of dominion. He is able to do whatever he wants with what belongs to him. And that's all of creation. That includes you, that includes me. There can be only one sovereign. If you have two, then then someone cannot act independently of the other. And God is the only sovereign. Who else is greater? We sang that this morning. Who else is mightier? Who else is higher? Who else is wiser? So God is sovereign over all things. He has absolute authority over all things. In Isaiah 44, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let Him proclaim it. Let Him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. There is no God beside me. There is no rock. I know not any. So the first point of sovereignty is the Creator has absolute authority over all things. The second point flows out of that. God is absolutely free to make and accomplish His own decisions. God is absolutely free to make and accomplish His own decisions. Be thankful. We see that again in 25b of that passage in 35. Who can say to Him, what have you done? He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay His hand. He does as He pleases. There is no special interest money. There is no group that He's beholden to. He makes decisions based on His glory and His glory alone. The psalmist words it so well in Psalm 135. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. 
in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. And so God has absolute authority over all things. He is absolutely free to make and accomplish His own decisions. And the third point we have to understand, God is executing His plan and nothing will stop it. Praise God again. If His plan can be thwarted, if His plan can be changed, we're in trouble. Nothing can stop His plan. Nothing is unforeseen. Now we know that God does not cause sin. He is not the author of sin. We know that from James chapter 1. We know that from His character. He cannot do anything outside of His character. But He knows and He uses that as part of His plan. He is never surprised. His plan is never thwarted. When you and I sin, it doesn't throw God for a loop and say, oh no, I don't know what to do. You're on your own for a couple days. No, because He knew that that sin would be there. He knew that that choice would be there. And that is part of His plan for His glory. Part of His plan for His glory. So God has absolute authority over all things. He is absolutely free to make and accomplish His own decisions. And He is executing His plan and nothing will stop it. My counsel shall stand in Isaiah 46 and I will accomplish all my purpose. And if we stop there, we can come up with this impression of God that He is causing all things, He is causing sin, that He is the primary cause of all things, and we don't understand that there's also human responsibility, that God also in Scripture teaches that there's choice. And that we will be held accountable for those choices. And so point number four, God has given us choices, and we will be held accountable for those choices. Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream. He was given a warning. He was told to repent. And the results of what happened to him was because he chose poorly. Throughout Scripture, we see concepts of choice. And this may seem like it's in in disagreement with points 1 through 3. And in the mystery of God, we can't completely understand how they come together, but we must hold both to be true because both are clearly taught in Scripture. Joshua 24.15 And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And throughout the New Testament, you have phrases like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the word for believe or faith there has the idea of choose. It's a human volition of of responding to God. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So God holds us accountable for our choices. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages or the results of sin is death. He's given us the ability to make that moral choice. When we choose sin, the result is death, separation from Him from relationship with Him. We see the same concept in Isaiah 66. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in abomination. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. 
but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. And so we have this tension. God executes His plan. He will always execute His plan. But within His plan, somehow He has given us moral choices. And He holds us responsible for sin. He holds us responsible for violating His will. One cannot exist without the other. God alone is sovereign. He does as He pleases. But He's given us choices and holds us accountable for those choices. All must be held true. The resolution, and and I would encourage you to read some of Tozer on this. He does a much better job of explaining it. I think a possible resolution is this. God sovereignly gives us the ability to make choices and uses our choices to execute His plan to His pleasure. I want to end with a diagram. So many times we see these as two opposite sides. God over here with His sovereignty, with His plan, that He is in control of all things. Man over here with His free choice. And we have people on both extremes, and that's the argument which is true. Because we know that if we hold that man has free choice over here, and if that free choice is separate from God, then we're setting up a contradiction in Scripture that says God is beholden to our free choices, which is not true. And so we come to God's sovereignty and we say, well, this means God must, must absolutely direct all things and we are His robots. And in Scripture, that is not true. And so we come to a solution that says God under the umbrella of His sovereignty, if He pleases, can choose to give us a choice. If God pleases to give us a choice that is granted by Him within His plan, because maybe that choice brings Him more glory than not giving us a choice, that's at His discretion. And so when God gave Adam and Eve the choice to sin or not to sin, that was under His sovereignty. It wasn't a violation of His sovereignty. That was something that He said... Because this is what will bring me glory, you making that choice and either being glorified of it or being disciplined by it, then I will give you that choice. And we resolve it by saying, God is able to do all, but He's also able to give us free choices that He will discipline us. If we choose poorly, that He will bless us if we choose Him. I think a simple example of that is if this afternoon I give my kids a choice and I say, where do you want to go to lunch? That's still within my sovereignty, my limited sovereignty as their father. We're going to lunch. The plan is that we're going to lunch. And they may choose McDonald's, they may choose Wendy's. And I'm okay with either one because both accomplish my plan. And then having a choice accomplishes my plan for them. Now, this is where it breaks down. God knows all things. He knows the choice, and so this isn't a surprise for Him. He knows that we will choose X, and that is already part of how He is directing all things to accomplish what He would accomplish. Just like I know with 99% accuracy, my kids will choose McDonald's. Now, I'm not God. They could surprise me, and they did the other day. thought they were sick. But I can give them a choice within my sovereignty because that choice accomplishes my purposes. And as we come to God's sovereignty and we're about to sing that God is able and end with that, God accomplishes His purposes in all things. 
And so no matter what happens, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what bad decisions I've made, no matter what good decisions I've made, God knows all that because He is omniscient. Because He is omnipotent, He is working that together for His good and His glory. And I don't have to cry over spilled milk. I have to repent and come to Him and move forward. God is able. He is almighty. He is powerful. His sovereignty means He is king. He is working all things for His plan. Not as robots, but as king. Trust Him. Follow Him. As we end Thanksgiving, you may have things in your life that you're like, I have no idea how I can be thankful for that. I don't see His plan. I don't see His hand. It's not dependent on whether we see it. God is working. God uses sin God uses a fallen world to accomplish His glory. And many of you said, I have why situations that I don't understand. And you may never understand, but know this, that God Almighty is on the throne and He is using whatever situation you're in to sanctify and to show His glory. And that changes our whole approach. Now we don't have to be worried. We don't have to be frustrated. We don't have to be oppressed because we know that God can do the impossible and nothing is too hard for Him. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. We know that You are able. We praise You that You are omnipotent, that You are King, that You are sovereign, that You reign above all things. Lord, we give You thanks because everything we see is Your hand at work to accomplish Your purpose. We praise You. We follow You. We trust You. In Jesus' name, Amen.